Welcome to another episode of Power Alphas. I am one of your hosts, Sabby Piscatelli, and my beautiful fiance, Mandy Rose, is not with us today, but boy, do we have a special, special guest. Um, this man don't need much of an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyways. He is a, first of all, he was a former uh, Ultimate Fighter Show Series 2 winner. He was former light heavyweight champion of the world in the UFC. Former baddest man on the planet, UFC Hall of Famer. And in my eyes, he is a pioneer of the sport because when you look at when UFC really blew up and really started to get a lot of traction in the social media aspect of the world, he was on top of the game. He was a man who was must-see TV. Uh, he had some of the biggest rivalries. He had some of the most intriguing opponents. You always wanted to see what he was going to say next. You always wanted to see him fight because you knew it could have been fireworks. And quite frankly, he's one of the best to ever do it. Um, and I have the privilege to call him one of my best and closest friends in the world. He really is truly not only an amazing athlete, uh, amazing person. Um, so without further ado, uh, UFC Hall of Famer, UFC light, former heavyweight champion of the world, Rashad Evans. <laughs> What's up, baby? What's up, my boy? <laughs> How you doing, baby? I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I love I love this, man. I yeah. love this. Yeah, this looks good on you. You're doing your thing. <laughs> I, I, I like the way you sound, man. It sounds like you got a career. Like, I mean, if not doing podcasts, at least doing radio. Oh, man. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I was on your podcast. We had such a good podcast that day. And I remember us leaving and you were like, wow, like when you talk, it's the engagement. And, and I think the conversation me and you had that day, it Come, it brings that out of me because I love talking to uh, other former professional athletes because I respect what you accomplish because I understand what that entails. Um, and that's that's why I love this show because this show really is based on inspiring true stories. Uh, I want to talk to people about their success and their failures and everything in between because it has to be relatability, right? They see you, Rashad Evans. They see this bad, bad, bad man. I mean, the word power alpha, the word alpha, I mean, I think you're the perfect guest to be on this show because at one point you're looked at as the baddest man on the planet. I mean, literally the baddest man on the planet. Like, like what kind of feeling was that? But before we dive into all that, Rashad, I would like to kind of start from where it began, man. I want to hear a little bit about uh, where you grew up, how you grew up, how your childhood was. Um, and kind of that family atmosphere that um, it kind of all started with. Yeah, so I am uh, from Niagara Falls, New York, and I am one of seven. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, we were staggered out. We were like two years apart, you know, and I had an older brother who was two years older than me. And, you know, he whooped my ass all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's to be honest, man, you know. But, you know, it was, it, it was great for me because um, – it really made me a fighter just from the start, you know. But even but when you were a kid, you guys were just always fighting. Always, always fighting, always fighting. You know, very competitive, very competitive growing up. And uh, you know, I would, I would just always compete with him, and it was just that rivalry thing. But I mean, we were bestest friends. You know, we were always hanging out together, and um, hanging out with him. You know, kind of had me growing up a little bit fast and getting involved with some things that I shouldn't have got involved with. And uh, you know, I found myself in trouble. Uh, quite a bit, and I was always into street fights and things like that because that was that was fun back then, you know. <laughs> that was a lot of fun back then. But you know, I had a, I had a really good, strong family upbringing. You know, we uh, all seven of us kids, you know, we we were so close, and even to this day, we you know we have a group chat that we all talk on, and we always, you know, stay up what's going on in each other's life currently and support each other now. But um, growing up, you know, I grew up in Niagara Falls and. Uh, I started with the whole karate background. I started doing karate. Okay. And, you know, karate was my first, I guess, detour out of just living like a knucklehead. You know, my first real discipline. You know, my mom gave me discipline, but it's something different when you are doing it for a sport and mm -hmm. you're held accountable to do so. You know, uh, my instructor, Carl Brusino, uh, we started going and I was able to pay like every month, like 40 bucks a month. But then after a while, that became kind of expensive for my mom, so I couldn't do it. So what he would do in lieu of making me pay was I had to come and clean the gyms. Yeah, I had to come wow. and clean the gym, and uh, it was it was a true like you know master Miyagi situation, and uh, it gave me a lot of 
disciplined though, you know, and during the times when I was cleaning the gyms, he would just talk to me and really see where my mind's at and kind of take this, you know, rough around the edge kid and kind of, you know, show me there was a different way. You know, uh, Carl Brusino was a cop in Niagara Falls and, you know, I, I, I adored him. You know, he was just the absolute best. He was a great role model. Uh, and I remember the first time I got into a fight when I was understanding what fighting really was when I was a martial artist. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't train for like a whole month, but I had like to write this whole essay about, you know, the commandments and, you know, the, the, uh, I guess the Tao of the school, you know, the, the way and the conduct, how we're supposed to act. And, uh, I had to sit out for a long time, but that was like, you know, me facing the accountability of what it was like to be, you know, understanding how to fight, but not fighting normal people. You know, he said, you only use this in a situation where you have to use it. And, uh, you know, he didn't deem my situation one in which I had to use it, but, um, it was a good discipline for me. And, you know, from there, from wrestling, I mean, from karate, I then went to wrestling mm. and, and wrestling was real. I really found my home. You know, I was, I only started wrestling because the football coach told me his name was Armand Cacciatore. And he says, you know, if you want to be good in football, he sounded just like this. <laughs> if you want to be good in football, what you need to do is you need to wrestle. Wrestling is the foundation of everything. You 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 get good hip pressure. You learn how to tackle. And I'm just like, okay. So I started wrestling. And it turns out that I was better in wrestling than I was in football. But I hated wrestling. Now, what age was this at? What age did you start wrestling? Uh, seventh grade. Seventh okay. grade was when I first got it and, you know, first started to, to wrestle and, uh, I was good at it, but I didn't have the grades. So I had to end up, you know, quitting that year because my mom made me quit to get my grades up. So I had to, you know, sit out the rest of the year after I started, but then the eighth grade year I came back and, uh, I liked it, but it was really hard. It was like a lot of running, a lot of, a lot of, you know, calisthenics, a lot of things that had nothing to do with wrestling. And I'm just like, dude, is this, the, did I sign up for the track team? <laughs> like this ain't, this ain't what I want, you know? So I had a coach, uh, his name was Bill Dixon, you know, another good guide in my life, like Carl Busino, but this guy was Bill Dixon. And Bill Dixon, um, he had, you know, four sons and they were standout awesome wrestlers, you know, like some of the best in, in the section. And uh, he seen potential in me. And he's like, you know, I think you can really do something in the sport. And he stayed on me, but I kept on trying to quit. Like I kept on trying to quit wrestling. I just didn't want to do it after a while because it was like, it was super hard. It was right after school. I wanted to be out running around with my friends and just hanging out, you know? And uh, whenever I missed practice, he would send one of the seniors to come and pick me up. Oh. And first they'll be pissed off that they had to come and get me and sometimes had to find me. And then when I got, when they picked me up and they got me, uh, I went to practice and it was 10 times harder than it was if I just would have actually went to practice. So after a while, I just stopped skipping practice and I started to really buy into the program and I really started to, to buy into the faith that he had in me. And it was, it was the craziest thing because it was, um, I can still remember it to this day. Like it was so, it was like the most pivotal moment in my mind when I think about me turning around from being that kid who just had the gifts and, and had the ability to do it, but just wasn't disciplined enough and didn't have that hunger and desire in himself to really see that he can be good in it. We were all sitting down. It was at the end of practice. And he was like, you know, there's a kid in here that that uh, that can really do something special. And I feel like he's going to go on and do some amazing things in his life. And he's going to be a great wrestler. And I'm just sitting there playing around in the back with my boy, my boy, Craigie. And he says, Rashad Evans. And everybody looked and turned around like, what? Rashad Evans, that little slacker, right? And I was just like, wow. But it was from that moment on, I started to be like, you know what? I don't want to make him look stupid. So I started to try a ah. lot harder. And because of that, I got really good. And, you know, I ended up going to States. And I ended up, you know, becoming a real star in wrestling. Wow. You know, so even hearing that story, you know, I think every athlete has that pivotal moment where either a coach or a father figure kind of gives you that confidence that you could be somebody special. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's important to hear that because I think every athlete has that of that turning point. So, OK, so this man challenged you. So you went from kind of being the kid where you didn't take it serious, but you're obviously very, very gifted. 
and all of a sudden your mindset switched. Now you're a little more disciplined. You're a little more committed. Uh, you're all in, right? So obviously when that transition changed, you became a wrestling star. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you, after you were done, right? Because even when you were growing up, like it's not like, like me, when I was saying I wanted to be a pro athlete, like a pro baseball player, pro football, it's, it was a lot of money involved at that point, right? Like yeah. if you make the NFL, you're going to make money. If you make the major leagues, you're going to make money. But in the fighting world, at that point, it really wasn't like that, right? Like it's no. not like your goal was I want to make millions of dollars fighting, right? So how did you transition becoming you know, a high school, college wrestling star because of the mindset of like, not about really chasing the money because it wasn't there, but what what gave you the motivation to drive to continue to really get involved in something like the Ultimate Fighter show or to become the biggest star at UFC at one point? Uh, you know, it was um, when I graduated from college, I still felt like I left a little bit in the basement. You know, I've, I've, okay. I, I had, I had a, a wrestling match where um, my senior year, I beat this guy named Greg Jones. Greg Jones is one of the best college wrestlers of all time. You know, he's like a three-time national champion. And the one year he was not was the year I beat him. Ooh. And, you know, it really showed that if I really put my mind to it and I just went out there and just did me, then I could I could be the I could be the best. You know, I can really be good. So that was something that just kind of stayed with me for a long time. And um when I was in college, when when I graduated from college, I started wrestling, uh, being a wrestling coach for like JV and this uh, school in Michigan, and I, and I was so competitive with the kids to the point where it almost impeded me from being the kind of coaches that I had the privilege to have, you know, because there's a there's a you got to be graceful in the fact that you got to lose sometimes, right? You got you got to get the kids' confidence up sometimes. But for me, were, I wasn't letting them have anything. No, <laughs> I wasn't letting them have anything. So I was like, you know what, I needed, I had enough uh, understanding to be like, you know what, I, I need to find something to take this edge off. And um, I ran into this guy who did uh, NHB, No Holds Bar. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I met him when I was working at a, as a bouncer. And he's like, oh, your fight broke out and I helped break up the fight. And he's like, oh, man, he had him in a rear naked choke. And I'm just like, hmm, it sparked my interest because... Not a lot of people understood what that was at the time, you know, because that was when MMA went into like the dark ages when it was kind of only allowed in Vegas. And, yeah. you know, you've seen it in Pride and, you know, it was in Pride and things like that. But it wasn't out there like that. So him and I got to talking and he was like, you know, there's a gym uh, in Lansing, Michigan that I go to. It's like a real low key underground gym because back then they weren't allowing MMA in any gyms. All like the karate schools did not want any kind of that behavior in the gym at all you know so it was like something that was like shunned and you 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 were put into the corner they didn't want to have anything to do with it so they formed this like little private gym it was like a real life fight club like the movie like the movie fight club i swear to god oh, it was like a real it. life fight I love club it. so um i go to this gym and uh, i go to this warehouse and this warehouse I, I think i'm about to get set up man because it's like in the rundown part of Michigan. It's underneath, like right next to some train tracks, under a bridge. And I go into the to the building and it's like a uh, old warehouse. You see rats scurrying around. Oh, and it's wow. just like, you can smell the dampness in the air, the mold. And Ooh. it's just like, I don't know if I should be in here. So I go up to uh, where, you know, where they were training at. And um, as I get close to the door, I'm like, I hear just like some guys grunting and hitting mitts and stuff like that. I'm like, okay. So I open the door and the wave of funk just hit me from, like, <laughs> it was like a small room, man. The gym was extremely small. You know, it was probably about, you know, 12 by 10 feet. Just, oh, wow. Yeah. Super small. And, uh, you know, it was like six guys in there just really just beating the shit out of each other. Like, you know, and these guys were just, they were just an eclectic group of people. You had a police officer, you had a, uh, one was a fire guy, one was a doctor, one was a nurse. It was like the village people, bro. <laughs> it was a little bit of everybody. So this one, there really wasn't an MMA at that point. There was like no nah. really UFC. So this is just kind of like all starting to come about at this time, right? Yeah. Wow. So, so you, you joined that. How did you get? to be on the show, The Ultimate Fighter, because you were season two winner, season correct? Two, yeah, yeah. And I know it was heavyweight, correct? 
Yeah, heavyweight. And what were you weighing at that time when you went to that show? Man, I, I started at 190, and I was working at the hospital, and then this lady was like, you know, uh, I told her I wanted to be on the Ultimate Fighter show, and I had an opportunity to do it, so I had to bulk up. And She gave me a bunch of kind of starches, so I ballooned up to like 220. Okay. But it wasn't like a solid It wasn't good weight. No, it wasn't. It nah. was like a fluffy, <laughs> fluffy pudgy, pudgy fat kid. Oh, yeah, it was, it was soft. It was super soft. But I, I got my weight up to like 220 from like 190, but okay. I was naturally a 190. So um, I got an opportunity. Uh, I sent in a videotape. Uh, you know, Dan Severn actually was um, a, a big part of helping me get on the show. He got inducted to the UFC Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was training. Uh, I was fighting in his shows. I was doing like these smokers and fighting in the shows. And, uh, you know, and, and back in those days, like, I would show up to do one fight, and uh, I, would, I would end up jumping in the tournament. You know, I'll fight. You would like, fight multiple times in one night. Yeah, two or three guys at one night, and and it was just the way that it was, you know. And I would carry wow. like some super glue with me just in case I got some stitches where I can do like a quick little suture. Wow. Because there really what there really was no commission. You know, you were fighting on like, you know, you're fighting in like bingo halls or you fight, um, you know, on reservations, but there really was no commission. Well. That is so interesting because at this moment, though, you were doing these fights for a bigger opportunity, correct? Like you knew in your head you wanted to go somewhere with this, or were you just doing it because you loved to fight? I, I just loved to fight. Uh, there, there, were, there really was, um, there really was no understanding that there was anything higher. Like, uh, like this guy named Noah Hernandez. He fought Chuck Liddell in their first UFC fight. They made their deb debut together, and um, he was kind of a mentor to me as well. Uh, and, and Noe. Um, he told me, he's like, you know what, man, I end up getting a government job because there's no money in mm -hmm. MMA. So you can do it for fun, but don't think you're going to make a career out of it. So I just I just did it for fun. And for me, it was just like it was a chance for me to get out some aggression, have some fun, and then have like a badass highlight vi film to kind of show people at work. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so then that, that kind of catapulted into the show. Yeah, okay. yeah. So obviously, talk about you were in the finals and you won the show. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, man. You know, on the show, I was I was a small fry. You know, these guys are like, you know, well over six foot, and I'm just like really undersized. But I always, I was like, you know what? I don't. I, maybe I don't belong to be here. But here's the thing. I'm gonna make these dudes feel me. I Whether it. I win, lose, or draw, these dudes are never gonna want to fight me again. And that, that was my main goal. So every guy that I fought, I fought it with like it was like my last fight. Mm. And I was like, I'm just going to see what happens and just, you know what, I can go home after I do this fight. And I would tell myself, I'm going to go home after I do this fight, but I'm going to give it everything I got. And I kept winning. And then I got to, uh, you know, um, to the finals. And the guy who I had to fight in the finals, his name was Brad Imes. He was, uh, you know, six foot eight, 250 pounds, just a, just a monster just a monster of a man and it didn't really dawn on me like how big these dudes were until like that way in right and then I look up I'm like damn this is this is really what's going on. I gotta fight this big dude and then right before the fight started Herb Dean brings us out to the center of the octagon and we're at the hard rock the old hard rock and uh I look up and I'm just like oh my gosh this dude is <laughs> like dude I'm like wow and, you know, when we started to fight, he grabbed me. And I'm just like, he started just shaking me like a dog shaking. <laughs> and, I, and I was just moving all over the place, man. But I was like, damn, this is going to be a hard fight. And uh, I ended up winning the fight, man. I ended up winning the fight. I knocked him down a few times. But it was like one of those fights where I just had to, to pull on that, that other part of me and bring out that other guy. You had to pull out that dog that you kind that of— but you got to remember, people got to hear this. Like you pulled out that dog, but you instilled that dog from all your hard work and all yeah. your training of karate, wrestling, and being disciplined, right? So that's that's some things people got to hear also. So now you win the show, you get a contract to the UFC, correct? Yeah. Now at this time, again, UFC wasn't huge yet, right? No. Nah. Now it wasn't like mainstream like it is now. Um, talk a little bit about your first couple fights in the UFC and I wanted I wanted to kind of bring to your big fight that I remember when you fought Chuck Liddell but talk a little bit before you first get in the UFC you're you're the young man um how'd that go in the beginning and who you, you can name some fighters but I, I want to just have people yeah. to hear about your experience right like what was the ups and downs what was the struggles what was the the strengths of it before we get to the 
the end of the big fight with Chuck Liddell? You know, it, it was it was kind of following the footsteps of what Forrest, you know, Forrest did. Forrest was the light heavyweight champ, the light the light heavyweight winner of the Ultimate Fighter in season one, and he had immediate success. You know, he just kind of, you know, had rolled off the the uh, the momentum that he had from that epic fight that he had with Stefan Bonner, mm -hmm. and he just had immediate success and was doing great. And I'm just like, man, I gotta, I gotta keep winning. You know, mm -hmm. I I can't just go out there and, and lose. So. Um, my first few fights in the UFC, you know, it took me a little bit to kind of really get my feet underneath me. I had some decisions and I had some fights that people were just like, ah, you know, he just he just doesn't have it, you know, and I and I was getting doubted as, you know, being able to finish and I was just a lay and pray wrestler and, you know, I didn't really have any hands and, you know, there's a lot of things that people are saying about me, but you know, they they they, they thought I had heart, but they didn't really think I had too much skill to offer. You mm. know, a lot, a lot of That's the skill and things that I had was more or less um, attrib uh, attributed to um, to me being an athlete, right? Okay. You know, when I watch some of the old the, old, the video uh, the videos and I listen to the commentators, they always say, "Oh, you know, he's an athlete," and it was just because I was an athlete, I was able to win these fights or stuff like that. But um, you know, it, it was it was a rough one for a while because I had to really understand the fact that this game as physical as, as it is it's a very mental you mm -hmm. know and after the ultimate fighter Shaw started training with Greg Jackson mm -hmm. and Greg Jackson really uh installed in me a, a mentality helped bring that out helped polish out that that dog mentality that I had in me and really you know teach taught me to weaponize it you know, we would do these crazy workouts where we would go to the Sandia Mountains and it would just be like the point of no return. And he would just be saying stuff to us like, hey, seek death. You know, mm. seek death. This is what you want. You want to be you, you want to go to the point where you can't go no more. And, and you want to you want to mentally defeat yourself right now. And if you mentally defeat yourself right now and you, and you bring yourself here, there's no man that's going to be able to beat you. Mm. And we just run these mountains. And, and it was, you know, like 12,000 plus feet up in the air. And, you know, we just, you know, piggybacking each other, doing like some crazy stuff. But that was Greg's whole thing. You know, he, he wanted to really make you that that samurai, samurai warrior. Man, that is so interesting because I think maybe you could talk a little bit about how have you carried that training to like the rest of your life? Because that's something yeah. that's instilled as you perfect your craft per se as being the best fighter in the world or being the best athlete in the world but that has carried over to your regular life correct that's that yeah. showed you the mentality how to how to continuously wake up every day and give everything you got because that's the mentality you instilled at a young age right yeah and for me it's like um before obviously we'll talk about it a little bit how, how our friendship started but now you're rolling in the ufc you're undefeated okay yeah you have Chuck Liddell, Rashad Evans. Big fight coming up. People talking about it. He's a legend at this point, right? He's yeah. one of the best fighters in the game. You're still trying to make your name, right? You're still trying to make your name. Walk me through that fight a little bit. Because when I watched that fight, that was, in my eyes, the fight that changed your career and changed the way people viewed you and respect you. But tell me how that fight went down in your head in that ring and what you felt. Yeah, you know, even leading up to it, you know, was was the biggest part for me because, you know, the fight is one thing. The fight just takes care of itself. You know, it's just a, a bunch of just reactions, right, cause and effect. And, you know, you train yourself to not think in there. But it was a leading up to it that was the hardest part for me because that was the hardest mentally that I was challenged. You know, um, fighting is is an emotional roller coaster and it's it's about mentally being able to just harness yourself and have that self-belief to be able to believe that no matter what happens, you're going to have your hand raised by all means necessary, by any means necessary. And uh, leading up to that fight, I'll tell people I got to fight Chuck Liddell. And they're just like, ooh, okay. You know, and they kind of make that face, you know. And I was like, all right, whatever. And I kind of use that to motivate me to train really hard. And then um, as fight week got closer, I started to get a little bit more nervous. And then, you know, on the way in day when it gets real, like you're looking into your opponent's eyes for the last time before he tries to knock your head off, right? And you're just like, man, it gets pretty intense, you know? So um, I'm standing there and I'm looking at him like, damn, this is this is Chuck Liddell, man. This is Chuck Liddell. Like I'm fighting Chuck Liddell. Like, holy shit, like this is gonna happen. Like, wow. And uh, 
you know, it was a surreal moment. So then I go back to my room and, uh, and, and uh, you know, after I say goodbye to my family and stuff and uh, it starts getting to me. I'm losing a mental battle. I'm losing a mental battle. Like normally I can kind of overcome it, but I'm losing a mental battle. I got like this fear is just mounting and it's overcoming my confidence. And I'm just like, dude, I feel very vulnerable. So I hit up Randy Couture and Randy Couture is like a mentor to me at the time. And, you know, I used to train with him a bit whenever I got a chance to go to Vegas. And uh, I was like, yeah, Randy, you know, you got a chance to talk? He's like, yeah, I'm downstairs. And I end up meeting him in his room. And I go to his room, and I'm just like, yo, Randy. He's like, yo, what's going on? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm scared. This is the night before the fight? Yeah, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. And I'm just, like, purging to him, like, these feelings that I have are just, like, I'm afraid to lose. You know, I'm afraid to lose. I'm afraid to get embarrassed, you know. And it, it was just... You know, it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be found out. I'm a fraud. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just so nervous. And uh, Randy, you know, he gave me the best advice that I ended up, you know, I tell the story quite a bit, but it's like this advice that he gave me was so sage. He was like, you know, you got to make friends at the worst outcome. That's hmm. the problem. He said, you, he said, the problem is you need to make friends at the worst outcome. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, you got to understand that no matter what happens tomorrow, the sun is still going to rise. Your family is mm. still going to love you. And you're going to get another opportunity to fight. And uh, I was like, yeah. It made me feel better immediately, right? But I had to really believe it. Mm -hmm. I had to really, like, believe it in my soul. So I went into my room and I stared in the mirror and just kind of thought about what he said. And every single time I had one of those thoughts of doubt, I would just shout it out. And I would just say, I don't care. I don't care. Oh, I love that. I don't give a, I don't give a, I don't give a, and I, I would say it. that, and I would just say every single time it came to me, like I felt it, and I was just sitting in a room looking at myself like, I don't care, like, it is what it is, like, whatever happens, you know, and, and it gave me such freedom, it gave me such freedom, and um, the next day when I woke up, I was ready, you know, I was ready, I had to do that a few more times, and, and really just kind of shout out those demons, but I was just looking in the mirror, just looking deep into my soul and looking at where where that fear was starting. And uh, upon inspection, that fear just, it just dissipated. And then something else stepped forward. It was just like this freedom, this, this confidence, this something I never felt before going into a fight, you know? And uh, it was completely liberating. It was so liberating and I felt so free that when it was time to walk, I, they say, you got everything you need? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got your cup? And I'm like, no. You forgot your cup. I forgot my <laughs> cup, bro. I forgot my cup. And uh, we we were, um, <laughs> we didn't have enough time to go back to the hotel. So I had a fighter, a friend of mine who just fought. You had to borrow a cup. I had to borrow his sweat, sweaty, oh nasty, never gosh, been washed dude. cup. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. But that's the thing. It's. How bad do you want it? How 100%. bad do you want it? What, what, are you, what are you willing to do for it? And every single phase up leading into that fight, it was me just letting go a little bit more. Me I just accepting, it. just letting it go a little bit more. So when a fight came and it happened, I was out there and I was free. I you came out there. I was free. Loose. He came out there and I'm looking at him and I'm dancing to his music waiting for him to get into the cage and I I'm looking it. at him and I'm just like ready to go. And when it shows, when it started, it was showtime right out the gate. I was sugar Rashad. I was in the flow. I was out there just being me complete competing the way that mm -hmm. I knew I can compete. And I was able to peep Chuck's game and what he was trying to do. And I was like, I'm going to play his aggression against him. And he just kept coming in very over aggressive and really not, you know, very frustrated because I hit him and it was like, it was like a little bee sting. It was like a nick. And then he would, he, I would get out the way before he can get me. And he was getting pissed off. And then the more <laughs> I kept nicking him, mm. you know, he got cut and then he was getting even more pissed off. So he started coming with even more rage and he came in with this uppercut because he, Chuck had a heat, Chuck's ability and his power was the fact that 
he has like a change up with whatever punch that he throws. It can look like a hook, but it can go straight. It can look like an uppercut, but then change into something else. Mm. And I couldn't tell what it was going to be. So I was like, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm just going to throw my left hook after every combination. So I seen him come with that backhand. So I just threw my overhand right as fast as I can. And I was trying to catch him with the left hook. And I caught him with the overhand right. Mm. And he dropped. And I see him. And I'm throwing a left hook. And it was like in slow motion. Slow bro. mo. Yeah. And I dropped him. I mean, that that is arguably top 10 greatest UFC knockouts of all time. Um, but you know what I love what you just talked about? And I, people that are listening to this podcast, I really want you guys to hear this message. This is at one point, the greatest fighter in the world at his craft, right? He was the baddest man on the planet, but he just admitted to us that he had self-doubt, right? He wasn't as confident at one point. He was scared, and I think people need to hear that because people think that it's unnormal to have fear or doubt yourself and be scared. So when you look at a man like Rashad Evans, who we all looked up to at one point in the UFC octagon, he just showed a story to you guys that he was vulnerable, that he was scared before that fight, and he was doubting himself. So whatever you're going through in life, just remember, uh, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be fearful. It's okay to have doubt, but make sure you come back to your roots. Yeah. And it sounds like you came back to your roots because you put in the work. Yeah. You put in the work ethic. You established this craft that you felt confident in, bro. Yeah. And that catapult you to one of the greatest knockouts in UFC history and a legend of the game. So now Rashad Evans is hot. Uh, he's rolling. He gets a title fight against Leo Machida, correct? Yeah. Well, uh, first Forrest, I got the title. and then. Oh, yeah. Forrest, you got a title. That was yeah. your first defense, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you, was, was Forrest after, right after Chuck Liddell fight, or was it another fight? Yeah, right, right after. Okay, right so after. you beat Forrest. You get the belt. Yeah. Um, you're undefeated at this time, having an incredible um, – UFC career and I like I said I remember what we weren't friends yet but yeah. I remember I was playing in the NFL actually when you were starting to blow up I, I got drafted in 07 so we used to have like fight parties and when you like rampage and stuff but I remember when I watched you what I liked about you was you had like a swag to you you had like a cocky arrogant fun but very athletic appearance so it drew me it drew it drew it drew a lot of people to you right you were fun to watch fight um and I think People have to hear that, that part of it. Like, what what brought you to that, that you were different? Like, even you had one of the biggest feuds of all time when you had the feud yeah. at Rampage. I mean, that was like a must-watch fight after that feud. But um, I don't want to skip that right now. I want to go kind of like, so now you, you knock out Chuck. Talk about, you kind of get catapulted into, like, the star, right? Now you got yeah. pressure. Now you got expectations, right? Yeah. Now you're going from, I don't know if this guy's got it, to, like, that's a bad man. Yeah, he's got to win. So tell me the minds. Tell me to change right there now. The last, like after that, that, after that fight, you know, it, it was just uh, the belief that I had in myself. But, but I, I really realized that what made me great is me being me. And it mm -hmm. was the same thing that made me great when I wrestled against Greg Jones. It was me just saying, you know what, I, I the way I move is the way I move. You know, I don't need to try to move like everybody else. I don't need to try to be like everybody else or try to throw technique like everybody else, you know, my gift is the way that I move. So I learned to weaponize the way that I move, and that that was it for me. And through getting comfortable like that, it allowed me to be able to get into character. Mm. Because, like, when I got into character, I would I could fake my way through anything. Like, sometimes I went out there, and I was like, I really wasn't in the mood to fight. Like sometimes you go out there. It's not nude. Sometimes you go out there and it's crazy. You can train for twelve weeks, but when it's fight day, you can be like, ah, I just don't want to fight today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just don't want to yeah. fight today. And you just got and you got to find a way to bring the fight out of you. You got to find a way to be like, all right, I'm gonna fake it. You know, I had a uh, football coach, uh, Coach Pogo. He used to tell me. He said, you know, um, you. If you want to become enthusiastic, you got to act enthusiastic. Mm. And I would act it. I would act the way that I wanted to be. So I was always to able to get myself up, and it allowed me to be able to compete from that free place. Mm. Dude, that's deep, man. That is deep. And, and I think that's something that 
you know, every professional athlete has something that drives them, and that's something that that that's that's that is deep, and I I I admire it because I know what you sacrifice and what that entails, right? Yeah. So now, Rashad Evans, one of the hottest things on UFC, light heavyweight champion of the world. Everything's good, mm-hmm. everything's great, right? Uh, at that time, you're married, right? Yeah. yeah. You have you're on top of the world. Uh, I want to dive into a little bit now when the struggles start to become. Um, I know, personally, you were fighting for a huge fight against DC, Daniel Cormier. You were probably in the best shape I've ever seen you in. Um, You were training with Rob and your team, uh, and you were just... I I remember, I think you sent me a picture a week before the injury where I was like, wow, this man is is now, not only is he one of the greatest fighters in the world, he is built like the greatest athlete in the world. Yeah, we got a picture together where we took at Rob. 100%, yeah, yeah, we were training together. And and that's why I was like, wow, not only is this man already one of the scariest fighters in the world, if he improves maybe a little bit of athleticism, oh, we got got a special fighter coming now. So now you're about to fight DC. And I remember you were sparring. I think it was one of the last sparring sessions, or left, and you, you hurt your knee. Yeah. And I want to dive into this a little bit because I want I want these viewers to hear that it's not all it's not all success. There's a lot of failure or downtime or negativity in your life that can creep in. Talk a little bit about when you got hurt. How was that process? I know you didn't fight for a couple years. Um, dive in and have your fans hear that that you know I want to hear about the struggle a little bit in this. Yeah, you know, uh, like you said, training for DC about you know the, the last training uh, drill. I blew my knee out, mm. uh, blew my ACL out, and you took me to the doctor. I did, for the MRI. Yeah, for the MRI, and uh, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was one of the hardest things that I had to, to really endure because I was going to miss a fight for the first time, and I didn't really understand what was ahead of me as far as recovering because was concerned with this injury. And um, it was something that I started to understand as it unfolded even more as I you know, had my surgery and started my plans for recovery because it was a lot harder than I ever imagined it would be. Mm. You know, I I felt like I was doing the things that I needed to do for recovery-wise, but it was crazy because all the things that I was able to put on the back burner and put fighting first Mm -hmm. started to be more the forefront of my life. Mm. You know, at the time I was, um, you know, I got divorced recently and I wasn't living uh, in Chicago anymore Mm. and I was you know living in South Florida so I wasn't around my kids and it was just kind of like a lot of different things starting to starting to creep in you know life was catching up to me and you know with everything also that was happening with um, you know with my recovery I, I just really was you know feeling a little bit out of sorts because Mm -hmm. fighting for me was was more than just it was more than just, you know, um, you know, going out there and, and, and competing. It was therapy. That was your life. It was, yeah, your balance was that gone. That was my balance. That, that was, was your everything. therapy. Every you know, day was, was your training was your therapy. Yeah, for that, sure. that was my therapy. And, and I didn't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had a really hard time and really difficult time uh, making that adjustment. And, you know, the hardest thing for me was I felt like I was healed. I felt like I was on the path of recovery and, and I was, you know, got cleared by the doctor and I started training again for another fight. And when I was training for another fight, um, I was training like the first day I got this contract, my ACL snaps again in the same leg. And it was like, man, it almost took me a year to recover for the first time. And then now here I am looking at another year of being out on the sideline. So I had to go through that therapy again. So and now you're two years. Two years. And you got to remember, fighters only get paid when they fight. Only get paid when they fight. Wow. Yeah. So talk. So keep so, going. So so you know, financially, it was like, dang. You know what I'm saying? But but even more than that, it was just kind of like, you know, the balance that I had in my life was just off. It was just off. Everything was just off. You know, I didn't. You know, I was drinking a little too much, and you know, I really was. You know, really wasn't the same mental savage that I was before, you know, and mentally speaking, I kind of started to to lose a little bit of faith that maybe I was even going to go out there and compete the way that I did. But, you know, w- what really kind of shook me more than anything was like, that was my first glimpse into the fact that one day this is going to be over. Mm, that's deep for an athlete. That is so deep and scary 
for an athlete that you actually, we all have those moments where you say, wow, like God's in control. I'm not. Yeah. And I had that moment. And now you just said you had that moment. And I think as professional athletes, that is like the biggest fear. Like, wow, this is going to be over. Yeah. I'm not gonna be able to do this anymore. And I think we all get so scared and we all get so, uh, it's almost like that anxiety a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we all can relate to that. Uh, so what do you think helped you personally the most get through this and get your mental back? And listen, maybe it yeah. took a year, two years, 10 years, five years, I don't know what it is, but talk a little bit about how you got down to your core. And now, you know, it's tough when you are so successful. You know, I, I have a saying that I said, that I've been around a lot of athletes that I've kind of believed sometimes in the athletic world, the greater your success, the harder your failure. Right. And what I mean by that is like the higher you go, you're almost expecting yourself. And then when you kind of, that gets all taken away from you, I feel like the crash down is even farther. Oh yeah. And it's, it's so mental. It's so draining. And I think all of us athletes deal with it differently. What was your thing that helped you come to peace with everything? You know, it, it really wasn't until uh, I retired from fighting. Mm. You know, it was it was when I retired from fighting that I was able to kind of get the balance that that I needed, and, and the fact that um, I had to understand and, and and really really put into um, my mind what this truly was all about. You know, what was the competing about? What was you know, why did I even want to compete? Why did I even want, you know, to, to have any of this? And really what, what, it, what it was worth. And it took, a, um, it took some time for me to really sort that out because, you know, when you're at that level, right, and you're, and you're you know, you, you're, you're, you're high up there. You're larger than life, you're larger per se. Than life, yeah. yeah cameras in, in on sense. you. Yeah, People you, want your autograph. They want a picture with you. Yeah. You're, you're an icon. Um, you're, the, you're the greatest at what you do. Yeah, and and just and just having the opposite of that was kind of like, dang, mm. you know. So, I had to really, um, really do some soul searching mm. because I, I never wanted to be one of those athletes that got so caught up in their accomplishments and what they've done that I started to to think that was me. You know, what I'm saying I mm -hmm. wanted to really separate Sugar from Rashad, but through taking the pictures and through, you know, taking the the, the congratulations and everything else like that, you just kind of start to embody that in a sense you know what i'm saying it, it goes to your head for lack of, of better words you know and uh the reality of, of the situation is far from that though you know the reality of it is far from that in the respects that you know that was just a phase and, and, and a point in my life you know what i'm saying and, and moving on to the next and what's next uh for me was like okay well who am i if i'm not that who am I mm. if I'm not that? I'm your identity. And finding my identity, finding mm. out who I was, have what was the journey? What was the mission that I was on? And um, you know, I, I was able to really uh, find some answers and, and really get back to the place where, you know, I felt as if like I can be me, and I'm okay, and I'm comfortable with being me, without anything that I've ever accomplished. Mm. You know? That's deep. That yeah. is deep, man. And I think that, Shad, it, it's for an athlete, especially of your caliber, who was like you said, you were in the public eye heavily. You were, you were very, very successful. And again, you're in a combat sport where it's that competition of an alpha presence, right? So when you yeah. don't have that, you have to get the peace yeah. with something. And uh, that's, you know, that's deep, and I love to hear other athletes' stories. Um, what are you up to these days? Talk a little bit about what you got going. Um, I know you I know you got your hands in so many different things. Yeah. I know you do a lot of work for UFC as well because, you know, you're, you're a pioneer and you always will be a pioneer. You're a Hall of Famer. Um, I think they owe you, in my opinion, I think you were always on that top, top list because I do think you really helped UFC get on the map because you were a personality. You were a must-watch fighter. Um, so talk a little about what you got going on right now. Uh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I still work with the UFC in the capacity of the broadcasting side of things, you know, which is uh, a lot of fun. I enjoy that a lot. You know, um, it, it's, it's different being on the side, you know, I've been a, in a broadcasting 
industry for a long time as far as, you know, working with ESPN back in 2009 and then with Fox and then now I'm back with the UFC. So it, it's um, it, it's been a lot of fun doing that and, and really um, staying connected to the sport. But I understand that, you know, now that I'm out of the sport, there's other start other parts of me that's really starting to want to take root. And, uh, you know, I've been you know, really just stretching out my business legs and just trying to understand business from all different kind of angles. You know, I, um, you know, with this, uh, you know, I have a functional mushroom company that, mm. I, that I work with. Uh, you know, I got one of my good friends, Dale Jolly, who was pretty much the glue who brought uh, Jake Plummer to the equation. Okay. And Jake yeah, Plummer. Yeah. yeah, so it's myself, Jake Plummer, and Dale Jolly. We have this functional mushroom company called uh umbo and pull you, it up ben yeah. pull it up i think you got a website pull it up ben and you can go to get com. there he is there you go yeah you can go to get com and check out some of the functional mushrooms that we have and now listen these are functional mushrooms all right they're not going to make you trip out they're nothing <laughs> like that you know what i'm saying they're not going to get you tripping but they're functional mushrooms and you know functional mushrooms wow. are good in the respect that they're adaptogenic and they will help you with you know mental clarity uh your stomach issue neurological issues they, they pretty much, with the adaptogenic title, they kind of balance you out and give your body what you specifically need. But each mushroom has um, something that it works good on. You know, you have lion's mane for cognitive function. You have mm. cordyceps for respiratory health. But it's also uh, a powerhouse with uh, with um, with uh, mental and, and uh, you know, brain injuries and things like that. Um, then you have turkey tail that's good for the gut. Oh wow! You have reishi good for your entire body, and you have shiitake that's good for your hair and your nails and things like that. So, they they have, you know, we have a couple few different modalities that you can try. We have something for if you're like a pre workout. We have something for nighttime. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so we got a couple of different things, you know. I'm gonna and, go visit the website when I go home. Yeah, come I and like check that. it out, man. We're coming out with some uh, some drinks. So yeah, yeah, we come out with some drinks. So yeah, so it, it's uh it's been pretty fun, you know. But I I've, I've, I give a lot of thanks to what functional mushrooms have done for me because when it comes to me getting back to myself and being able to have the difficult conversations with myself and being able to move past and really put in perspective what this whole experience is about being a fighter you know mushrooms have been, been a big part of it you know the functional mushrooms and you know uh the, the medicinal mushrooms which is also known as the magic mushrooms mm. And it's been, you know, one of one of the things that's been helping me just kind of get perspective. And I feel like that's all that life is, you know. Yep. Li life is all about perspective 100%. And, and and being able to, you know, uh, understand where you're at and where you need to go based upon that perspective. So uh, I've been a very fortunate to get introduced to the medicine, and it's been helped me out so much man dude that's so tremendous to see man and what i love is to see you at peace yeah and having new interests that really thrive you and i'll tell you one thing before we kind of wrap this up i feel like we could talk for hours and hours me and you um one thing i've always admired about you rashad i remember like the first day i even met you uh i think the first time i went to your house you had like four of your boys living at the house you were yeah. always helping people you always wanted to help people um, even uh, Kamaru Ushman, right? Everyone knows him. Uh, turned out have a hell of a career. He's actually fighting this weekend. Yeah. Um, but he was living in your house because you were helping him chase his dreams. And I guess at the point I'm bringing this up is what I've always admired about you is as successful as you've been, uh, I love the drive you have to help other people. I love the drive that you have that you you want to teach young guys, you want to help young guys. And to me, that is a symbol of who you are as an athlete. Um, and for that, I, you know, I, I commend that, I admire that. And you've helped me tremendously because we, we, we actually became close when I was going through my transition exit out of the NFL. Yeah. And I couldn't get back in. Um, so for that, I'm very grateful. But just to sum up everything, man, uh, it was such a privilege to sit and talk to you. But I... I want people to see this podcast and understand that uh, life is perspective and yeah. we all have struggles and we all have triumphs and we all have things we go through in life that we have to make a decision. Either we can give up or we can get right back on the horse, wake up every day and make a difference. And I've always heard one of the best sayings I've heard is every day we wake up, we have a chance and a choice, a chance to live mm -hmm. 
and a choice to do the right thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think um, your story is, is very inspiring to me because you conquered something on the highest level in the world. And then obviously it doesn't last forever. Right. So for that transition, it's hard. And um, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I want you to give you the floor a little bit to wrap some things up, whatever you want to say. If there's a message you want to say to these people from, from one of the greatest greatest light heavyweight champions of the world and one of the greatest fighters in the UFC history, in my opinion. So drop some knowledge. What would be some of your advice to the people watching this podcast? You know, um, you know, I, I often think about like, you know, what are the, some of the things that have made me and gave me the lasting uh, satisfaction in life, you know, and, you know, it wasn't the money, it wasn't the accomplishments, but it was being able to, help other people reach their goals. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Love that, to, to be able to be that for somebody else, uh, to help them get to where they can achieve their goals ha has been one of the biggest blessings and is one that, you know, continues to be a blessing upon their achievements, you know, of whatever they do. Because the truth of the matter is the fact that I, I'm not going to live forever and, and nobody does, but it's about the ripple effect. You know, it's about the ripple effect. And when you understand how close we all are connected, you understand that the measure of who you are is truly the measure of how far you can make that ripple go. That's so that's deep, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the people out there, man, you know, don't be afraid to be a service to somebody. Mm. Don't be afraid to to help out somebody because truly helping out somebody is is helping out yourself as well, too. That's we said that in the last podcast. Uh, a very wise man once told me, wish success upon everybody and help them any way you can. And I think that kind of relates to what you just yeah, said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so amazing that um, probably every fighter in the world knows who you are and looks up to you. So if you if they could get knowledge from you and you could help them, that is, I think greater than any accomplishment you ever did because you're giving back knowledge to help other people succeed and reach the pinnacle like you did yeah so man that that is a blessing man i love you brother i really do um you're one of my best friends and i know you'll be back on the show but it's been a it's been a pleasure i think we could talk for hours but thanks man for, for coming on the show and uh i'm excited for the future man i'm excited for the future man i'm excited that you got this podcast killing it man I love but thank it, you for having me on i appreciate it and uh yeah, we gotta we gotta wrap it again because there's there's another level. Yeah, oh yeah, we gotta get you on the show a lot because we yeah. gotta yeah because there's a lot more we could talk about, yeah, but we can't squeeze level. it in in an hour. Yeah, uh, my brother. Uh, thanks for another episode of uh, Power Alphas. Until next time, thank you guys. Just edit this, but you want to say follow us on all pod podcast platforms? Yeah, that's what Mandy usually says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. So just. Uh, do that ending again. Just thanks. Power Alpha. Uh, follow us on all podcast all right. platforms. Uh, thank you for watching this episode. Please make sure you follow us on all social media platforms. Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, all that above. And don't miss out for the next one.